Uh, let's jump in today. Uh, the next uh, week of our Shameless Audacity series. This is a two-week series, but it's Super Bowl weekend. Uh, one of my favorite uh, non-holiday holidays. I, like I consider it a holiday, and so I'm excited for the food, the game, the commercials. And um, yes, I would have been more excited if the Packers had won two weeks ago. Um, but I'm ex- still excited to watch. And one of the more annoying things about this Super Bowl is that Tom Brady is playing in it, in my opinion. Um, maybe you share that with me. Um, you know, it's his 10th Super Bowl. That's, uh, I did some research, and so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm correct that there's no other player has had more than six, and it was like a kicker and a tackle or the, in second place for that. And then no quarterback has ever been in more than five times. And so as, as mad and annoyed at it as I am, I have to kind of marvel at it a little bit because it's just pretty impressive. My sister's a Patriots fan, and I think she changed to the Buccaneers this year for some reason. And so she, I think she's excited. So I'm, I'm just rooting for a good game. But as I was thinking about this message this week and what we're talking about, we're talking about fasting and like setting up spiritual disciplines in our lives. And as I was thinking about the dedication that Tom Brady has, I've, I've read different articles that just shows the amount of time and effort he puts into like what he eats and the way he trains and the way he recovers from game day and his practices. It's you kind of just have to say like he's super super disciplined. I mean, he also cheats and pays the refs and stuff. So that's part of his success. But, uh, but he's really disciplined. And so as I was thinking about just like how much time and effort he puts into it, I was thinking just to like our own spiritual practices and how much we could be giving that sort of dedication to our pursuit of Jesus. And it just reminds me of, verse, of some verses in 1 Corinthians where Paul writes this about his own kind of battle with these things. And he says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So I think it's a really good verse that kind of just shows the the intensity, the regular, like the I'm trying to think of the right word, the consistency that we can have in our prayers. Uh, and he understood that like disciplines needed to be an athlete. And even those in his time would have known that as well. Obviously, he's talking about it. And but like just the same way that we look at our athletes in, in our setting, we look at people like Tom Brady and we marvel at their consistency of being in 10 Super Bowls and he's only been in the league 21 years. And so for Paul, though, it wasn't about winning a race or a prize or a football championship. For Paul, it was about attaining an eternal prize. And so what I love about what Paul is saying is he was pointing his focus um, to he's pointing all the focus of his discipline and of his training towards the ultimate goal of just being with Jesus. And so as we continue in this series, as we talked about prayer last week, I really want to hone in on this idea of persistent pursuit 
of Jesus. Not only in the practice of prayer, like we mentioned last week, but also in fasting. And just a quick definition, fasting is where we give up food for a time to more focus on God. And so I like to think of of replacement. I'm going to not eat so I can replace my time with prayer and really intentional time of being with Jesus. And so we've been talking about these, these different things, about how we can persistently ask, seek, and knock, like we, like we read last week, and we'll read again today. And so we're doing this in our relationship with Jesus. We're doing this so that we can be more in tune with the Spirit and more closely uh, like in proximity to Him, and so that we can begin to see our lives change because of it. And so the focus of the text for these two weeks that we're jumping in this, and we have a new series next week called Win the Day, and it's going to be just an incredible time leading up till Easter of just some other practices and habits and mindsets that we can have, um, especially in this season where it feels a little toxic. It feels like we're trying to get our rhythms. We're trying to get just clear thinking. The next series is really going to help us do that. But for today, let's look again at Luke 11. We're going to skip a few verses and just read 5 through 13. And this is how the story goes. It says, Then Jesus said to them, He says, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, so the one being asked, he says, don't bother me. It's midnight, the door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And Jesus says this, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so last week, we really talked about that shameless audacity in the way we pray. And so if you read that, that's the NIV version of that expression. The English Standard Version uses the word impudence. And so that's not a word you hear often. NLT, the New Living Translation, which we read often, says shameless persistence. And then other translations just say persistence. And um, I got to the King James Version as I was just looking at different versions of the story. And this word I've never heard of before, importunity. And so I had to look it up just so I could see, you know, I kind of knew it was going to be persistence. But I really loved the definition. It says persistence to the point of annoyance. And so that's a really good expression for how we can be persistently pursuing God, almost to the point where we feel like we're annoying God with our requests and our prayers and of being in his presence. It's like that shadow or like, you know, if you're like with little kids, they just want to follow you around and like, I'm here, I'm here, I want to be with you, I want to be with you. Like that's what we can have as we approach Jesus. But I also think sometimes it can be our annoyance that like I'm going to be just consistently showing up, I'm going to consistently consistently be in prayer until the point I'm annoyed and then even past that. And so shameless audacity means that we're going to keep showing up and keep bringing up the prayers that we want to bring before God. And so it's persistence to the point of annoyance. And it's not inconsistency to fit with my convenience. And it's also not fickleness due to the blowing winds of my preferences. It's this idea of persistence to the point of annoyance. And so Jesus continues on in this story, and so he says this to further explain it. And it's what we read last week, but it goes, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of your fathers, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So on Father's Day, fathers, you got some good practical jokes there. You know, when your kids ask for a fish, give them a snake. And, you know, when they ask for uh, an egg, give them a scorpion. And, you know, it's just be a cool practical joke, a biblical joke. So it's totally fine. Um, but Jesus' teaching here is not so much focused on what we are praying for as far as outcomes and what we're wanting to try and get from him, but it's rather teaching the disciples to focus on their good and gracious father who's always wanting to listen to them and to really just show them the fact that they need to be persistently pursuing and approaching God in prayer. And so, of course, as you read this and as you read further in Scripture, there's an implied idea of not my will but yours be done. That's always something when we're praying and how we're taught to pray is we're always praying the will of God in everything we bring. And so that's why sometimes we, we can read this and think, well, if I ask for anything according to my will, I'm going to get it because that's what the verse says. And no, it's like as you read through Scripture and even as you model your prayer after the prayers that Jesus prayed, even when he was in the garden waiting to be crucified, he's praying to God and saying, God, take this cup from me but not my will, but yours be done. And so that's what we can always pray when we're praying is realizing that it's not our will. We're bringing these prayers before God according to his. So asking, seeking, and knocking is about being with and sharing every part of our lives with Christ with shameless audacity. And so before we jump into talking about fasting, I think it's really important. Um, it's to right up front, just give you the big idea because it's going to help us keep our focus on what we're doing uh, today. And then that is this, anything we do for Christ has to come from who we are with Christ. And that's vitally important to understand that anything we do has to come from who we are in Christ. Because we can often feel like I have to do a bunch of stuff in order to attain my relationship with Jesus. I have to live this way. I have to, you know, add all these new practices and disciplines and habits. And then God's going to see favor on me. And then I'm going to be in right relationship with him. But God doesn't see it that way. When we choose to follow and believe in him, we're in right relationship with God. But everything now that we do comes out of our relationship with him. And so when we read earlier that Paul is disciplining himself to win the prize, he's not saying that he has to do those things in order to be in right relationship with God. He's saying, I'm doing these things because I have a relationship with Jesus, and I am going to discipline myself so I can be closer and closer to him in everything that I say and do. And so he's going to work, train, and run after that finish line of his eternal prize. And so from there, uh, from that idea, we live in our commitment to our discipleship to Jesus. So today I'm going to use the rest of our time together, and this is going to be a little bit different format than we usually do, but to try and to convince you to seriously consider adding the practice of fasting um, to your life as into your walk with Jesus and your relationship with Jesus. And um, just to take this small step together at church, 
to encourage you. I'm gonna give you the action point first. Usually we end with the action point. Today, our action point that we're gonna leave you with today is to fast and pray with open life this Friday. We are gonna take time as a church, hopefully I can encourage you over the next few minutes that I'm speaking to you, to take a meal um, uh, this Friday and choose to fast it and be in prayer. Or if you're more experienced, maybe you want to do something a little crazier and do a couple meals, or you want to start Thursday night and go into Friday, or start on Friday and go into Saturday. But, and for, for some people, it's like a new experience. They've never thought of this idea of giving up a meal and then choosing to pray instead of it and see what God might teach you in those moments. And so this is like a call to prayer for open life. And so we want to encourage you today, consider fasting this Friday, um, a meal, a long portion of the day, whatever you want to do, but then using that time to pray together. Because we've been in this 28 days of prayer, and we have some prayer focuses. If you check on, on the Open Life Church app, there's a link on the front that takes you to a list of every 28 days with some prayer focuses. And each week is a different focus of a general focus. And for this week, we're focusing on the church. And it's just a unique time for us. You know, we're still meeting on Saturdays. We're, we've got half of people watching online weekly, people here, and then other people just in limbo, not knowing what they're doing. So this is a great week for us to join together in prayer, to really focus on adding some disciplines and practices to our lives. And then this Friday, to take a time to fast together, like a corporate fast. And so maybe your head's just spinning like, I can't believe he just started talking. He's talking to me like I have to do all this stuff now. But for, going forward, I want to just, I have some three thoughts that can really help explain why we would fast. And maybe it's something that's been neglected in your life that you just have never heard before. And so I want, I want to just give you three thoughts to help encourage you do this and just to give you some practical advice at the end. And so the first thought today is that Jesus assumed his disciples would fast when he was gone. Uh, we've been hitting on this passage in Luke 11, and we talked about the asking, seeking, and knocking. Well, that basically exact verse is also in the book of Matthew, in the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7 is just this excellent teaching. If you ever want to know just how to live your life as a disciple of Jesus, read the Sermon on the Mount and then try and just live your life that way. And, um, but in there, in Matthew 7, there's just this passage that goes through the same thing, asking, seeking, and knocking. And then, but we do get the same even prayer teaching in Matthew 6. And, and so what happens is, is in between those two things, in between the prayer and the asking, seeking, knocking, there's a portion where Jesus talks about fasting. And so this is what he says in Matthew 6, 16 through 18. He says, he says this, and just listen to the words. It says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so Jesus is explaining the heart and the mindset we need to have when we're choosing to fast. We're not fasting to impress people. We're not fasting to like make ourselves look better or feel like really proud of ourselves. But we do it alone because we want to be in relationship with Jesus and we want to pursue him in a deeper way. 
But think of, just look at the words and then read them. Jesus assumed those who he was teaching in this moment were going to be people who practice fasting. He said, when you fast. Not like, if you fast, do this. Not like, I'm commanding you to fast. But he just assumed that when you fast, you're going to do it this way. And so if you read all of Matthew 6, you read Jesus' other teachings about giving and then about prayer as well. And both in each instance, he does the same thing. In his teaching on giving, he says, when you give. In his teaching on prayer, he says, when you pray. And now these are two things that I assume that we've all feel like we understand, we've probably been in churches, every church service I've probably ever been has had some component of prayer and of giving. Like it, that's just like not really controversial. That's not like surprising to me. But then if you think about fasting, like in the same teaching of Jesus, when I think about fasting, I'll just be honest. It's, and it's always even kind of been like assumed that when we communicate about fasting, it's only the most spiritual people fast. And so we can think that only the spiritual elite get to do this spiritual practice. But me, just as someone who might not feel like I'm very strong in my faith, or someone who, you know, just like walks in the door one week, well, that's fasting stuff. That's something I'll do years and years and years down the road as I grow. But Jesus is just giving this teaching, and he's saying, when you give, give this way. When you pray, pray this way. When you fast, fast this way. It is much more assumed. And even later on in Jesus' ministry, the disciples are out in public with Jesus. When some of the disciples of John the Baptist come up to Jesus and say, something's a little off. The, um, your disciples are not fasting, while the Pharisees are fasting. And if you read anything about the Pharisees, they're very proud of their fasting. And they were the ones Jesus was referring to, the people who really show it off, that, hey, I'm fasting. I'm doing all these special things for God. And so John's disciples are asking, even the Pharisees are fasting. We're fasting. But Jesus, how come your disciples aren't fasting? And so Jesus' explanation comes in Matthew 9.15. He says, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus is explaining that there is no need for his disciples to fast because they're already with him. They're already in close proximity to Jesus. But soon the day will be coming when he is crucified on a cross, when he's resurrected, he ascends into heaven, and he'll no longer be with them physically. And so he's saying, that's why you would fast. You fast when the person is not present with you. And so we are, are we, so the question is, are we commanded to fast? And it's an important thing to consider. And I just want to let you know, it, we're not commanded to, like, it's not like if you don't do this, you're in sin. Um, but in the sense that our lives with Christ will be deeply affected when we do fast. And if we don't fast, our lives might actually become shallow in Christ. Then I think in a way, Jesus assumes that his followers wouldn't neglect practices that can build up their lives to be in closer relationship with him. Um, one of the, the guys I've been reading is Richard Foster. He, he wrote this book called The Celebration of Discipline. And it's a, a, really a classic work on many, many different spiritual disciplines and practices we can have in our lives. And he says this, Certainly, we have as much, if not more, evidence from the Bible for fasting as we have for giving, 
Perhaps in our affluent society, fasting involves a far larger sacrifice than the giving of money. And it's an interesting thing to consider. And this was written over 25 years ago. That maybe in our culture and in our society where we live right now, uh, a full stomach is important to have. And we, we have it and we, like, we, we know we serve at the food banks. We help people who aren't fed or don't have regular access to food. But, you know, it's easy to give a dollar here and there. But is it easy to give up a meal in our current context? And so as you consider, if you might join us in fasting a meal this Friday, does this assumption of Jesus... Does it move you at all that the disciples would fast when he was gone? Does it help form a different perspective in your mind in realizing or deciding if you want to fast? Have you participated in prayer and giving like at church before or even here at Open Life? But uh, you might be thinking, well, what's next? What is the next practice I can do? What's something I can do? And maybe fasting is a thing that this week will just jumpstart your faith in Jesus. Uh, so then moving on, our second thought. If Jesus found strength in fasting, we will too. Jesus, you know, think about this. He's our God and flesh Savior. He wasn't just some deity that came and, uh, to be perfect. And he was perfect. But he didn't just come to be perfect, showing like an inconceivable way to be like him. No, Jesus came and showed us actually how to live our lives. He even participated with humans. He even like, at, like actually called them to follow him and become like him before his death and resurrections. And so even then, like as Thad was singing today, through the sending of the Holy Spirit, we we're given power to actually live out the teachings that Jesus told us to live our lives by. And so the most obvious place that Jesus shows this example of fasting is found in when Jesus was tempted in the desert. We read about it in Luke 4, 1 through 2, just this intro part. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. And so you might think that Jesus is God, he's the son of God on earth, that like for him not to eat, that's no big deal because he's God. But I think this shows us the kind of God that we serve, that he would send his son to earth to live a perfect life, but to live a perfect human life as an example for us. And so if Jesus didn't eat, he's going to get hungry. When, when the man doesn't eat, he's going to get famished and he's going to be hungry. He's going to like go through the same temptations and the same like feeling that we feel when we hunger. And so another person that's great on these spiritual practices and living like Jesus is Dallas Willard. He's no longer alive, but he's just an incredible theologian that I love to read. And he talks about this in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines and what Jesus was going through. And so this is what he says about that, that time Jesus had in the desert. He says, in that desert solitude, Jesus fasted for more than a month. Then, and not before, Satan was allowed to approach him with his glittering proposals of bread, notoriety, and power. Only then was Jesus at the height of his strength. The desert was his fortress, his place of power. Throughout his life, he sought the solitary place as an indirect submission of his own physical body to righteousness. That is, he sought it not as an activity done for its own sake, 
but one done to give him power for good. All of those who followed Jesus knew of his practice of solitude, and it was greatly imitated in the centuries after his death. Two things that I just love from what he said. He said the desert was Jesus's place of power. Fasting was an activity done to give him power for good. And so might I also just add that in our current context, when you look at the church as a whole, our pursuit of worldly blessing or power and favor, maybe we need to stop looking to the outside, into our like kingdoms of this world structures and say, we need power from all of these places and realize that by putting ourselves in a place of surrender, in a place of sacrifice or humility, and even just in the practice of fasting, we might find ourselves in a place of more unhindered relationship with God where we truly realize that we have ultimate access to true life, to the power God wants to give us, and to servant greatness that is exemplified in Jesus, but comes when we truly put ourselves in Christ's kingdom. And so this is actually modeled by Christ himself, and we should be encouraged by this. And so just a thought, maybe the most shamelessly audacious thing we could do is follow the example of Jesus and live like him in this way. That like by changing and rearranging lives and just through the practice of giving up a meal and making that a regular practice like week to week or month to month, we're just saying that I'm choosing to live my life in a different way. I'm going to realize that to become greater, I'm going to become less. I'm going to humble myself just in the fact of skipping a meal. And so does the fact that Jesus gained strength from his time of fasting nudge you in the direction that, like, if Jesus did it, maybe I should give it a try. If you've never done the practice of fasting, maybe that you, that I would convince you to say, well, if my Lord and Savior chose to fast, maybe I can choose to fast as well. And so that leads us to thought three. Fasting has to be centered on God. And so this really comes back to what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6 in his teaching on fasting and on the Sermon on the Mount. When, you, when you're fasting, it's not to proclaim your good works. It's not to proclaim that we're super spiritual, but it's, it, it's to put us in closer relationship to God. And this is why, Jesus, this is why God, Jesus said this. He says, your father who knows what you're doing in secret will reward you. It's the thing you do alone. And so a new year, like in a new year, we always think of ways that we can get healthier. And Danny and I have kind of changed some of our eating habits. And part of that, we decided to try out intermittent fasting where we only try and eat. We're not always perfect at it, but we try and eat only between the hours of noon and 8 p.m. And so just to be like perfectly transparent and honest with you, that's like a morning breakfast that like is I'm not having breakfast the entire week at times. And it's really tempting in my mind to say, you know what? I'm pretty much like spiritually fasting. Like I'm giving up my breakfast every morning this week. And so just to show you the difference is like, it's not just that we're giving up food and then just saying, like, I feel closer to God suddenly. It's like the giving up food, but then changing the orientation of your spiritual life to say, I'm giving up food and I'm choosing to use that time, that energy and focus myself on prayer focusing myself on being with Jesus. Now, if I want to this week say, man, this week when I am fasting my morning breakfast, I'm going to give, you know, uh, you know, whatever time allotment I want to give and say, I'm just going to really use that time that I would have spent 
making breakfast or, you know, cleaning up the dishes and doing all that and just say, God, I'm giving you this time and offering it to you. That's different. But when we're just, it's not just about saying, I'm not eating. And then thinking that just by not eating lunch this week, you're not going to come back closer to Jesus next Sunday. It's when we give up our lunch or our meal and say, I'm using this as a, as a symbol, yes, but as an actual physical act so I can be praying with God and becoming closer to him. But so to help us always center it on God, we were told in Scripture, in, in Acts, I have two examples for you, of where fasting is deeply connected to worship and to prayer. In Acts, in Acts 13, there's a story of um, teachers and prophets in um, the city of Antioch, and they are Saul and Barnabas, and well, Saul who becomes Paul. They, uh, they're together, and they're being sent out by them. And so we read this about their experience in Acts 12, 13, 2 through 3. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And so then again, in the next chapter, we read in verse 14, 23, um, the, the same people of Antioch were doing the same things. Paul and Barnabas, they were, they were um, like basically receiving back Paul and Barnabas. And it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And so it's this practice that we do that's solely focused on God, that's rooted in prayer and in worship. And so we might think it's, it's only that. That's where our focus has to be. That's where it always has to be. But as we read, again, in the, in the book I was reading, The Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster reminds us that the focus of fasting is to always be unto God, but there's obviously going to be these secondary benefits that he calls it. He says our focus always has to be God when we're fasting, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to see changes in your life in response to this. And so he says this, numerous people have written on the many other values of fasting, such as increased effectiveness in intercessory prayer, guidance in decisions, increased concentration, deliverance for those in bondage, physical well-being, revelations, and so on. In this, as in all matters, we can, expect to, we can expect God to reward those who diligently seek him. And so remember what we're talking about, shameless audacity, persistence to the point of annoyance. Fasting has this way of focusing on Christ but then as we do that and as we pursue him and wanting to be in close relationship with him, we see these secondary benefits that come out. And so now, like, it's here that I want to leave you just with a quick final thought to consider maybe the last two years of your life. We have talked about fasting before, and it was actually about two years ago in April of 2019 we were doing a series about some other spiritual practices we can do, and we focused one week on fasting. And as, as I was preparing for this week, I was reading through my notes, and I even watched the video. Uh, I just, I was listening, and I got taken aback by something I said two years ago. I, I mentioned that we should think long before any time we're going to choose to fast. Like, we should actually think, like, who am I going to be in two years if I'm going to begin to start this practice. And it just 
took me off guard because two years ago, I had no idea that I would be uh, one year into a pandemic and we'd be meeting on Saturday mornings for our church. And so I just think about all the different stories of the people who heard that message and where we're at today. And I just, I kind of just stepped back and said, man, if we're not doing this yet, this is a prime opportunity to see how our lives could be changed two years from now. I mean, we're struggling. Like, and I say that as a church. I mean, we're like much smaller than we used to. We're meeting on Saturday mornings and people are watching online and that's not the best. That's not fun. This isn't fun for anyone and not what we had intended. And even we're struggling in our communities. You know, it's hard doing online school at home. It's hard sending your kids every other day or sending them in the mornings or the afternoons, whatever your context is. And it's hard working from home when you're trying to do that as well. There's so many things that I look at those benefits that he talked about. Uh, could we have used some increased concentration in the past year? I think yes. Could we have some guidance in our decisions, some deliverance for those in bondage, some physical well-being, revelations, and so on? I think, like, if we all as a church would be rooted in that, I'm not saying no one wasn't fasting, and I'm not saying no one wasn't praying. And I'm, not, I'm even saying, like, I mean, I should have been doing a little bit more just to focus my mind on stuff. But I just think we have this opportunity right now to kind of use it as if you want to use poker terms go all in and focus ourselves on Jesus and realize there's more we could be doing I'm challenged when I read Paul and he says I discipline my body to pursue Jesus and I think we all should be doing that and so I just want to challenge you today with that I hope like I didn't become too overbearing uh, in saying some of those things or, you know, even just like doing our action points a little bit differently. But I just want you to consider like this week, will you fast and pray with open life on Friday? That's like what we're leaving here with. And like, even as the worship team comes up and we, we worship, like use it as a time to cement maybe a decision in your heart and not just to pray on Friday or not just to fast and pray on Friday, but to think, what could I be doing for the next few months? What could I be doing for the next few weeks in my life to just say, God, I'm all in with you. I'm all in with my relationship with Jesus. I'm going to open up a book or I'm going to research, you know, some other things I can be doing, whether it's silence and solitude or going back to some of our previous messages two years ago. It's, you know, a never give up series where we talked about just some other things we can be doing in our lives to say, God, I'm all in and I'm ready to just be close to you. And, you know, honestly, I want to see some secondary benefits to that. I need some guidance in the decisions I make. God wants to hear those things when we're walking through them, and he's faithful to be with us in everything we walk through. And so um, as we pray, just think about that. Because what you'll understand is like this week, it'll be about giving up a meal, and it's going to be hard. And you might only be focused on that act, like you're hungry. Yes, you give up a meal, you usually become hungry. But as this practice builds and builds and builds, we'll begin to see those, those feelings churn from physical feelings to realizing, God, 
I need to surrender more in my life spiritually. I need to live differently for you. And that takes time. That takes six months, a year, two years. But I just think it's, it's a moment now where we have to just say, God, I'm all in with you to just trust in you and to start something new, start afresh in our relationships. So God, uh, we just pray right now for everyone who's here this morning or who's gonna be watching online. We pray, Lord, that, that you would really, really just help us cement just these ideas, God. And let us, be, let us make a decision for you that's solely based on just us being in your presence, us being closer to you, so we can know you more in a deeper way, so that we can put roots deep down into our life as we're following you. God, as we pray this week continually for our church, we just bring those requests up to you, the, the people that have requests personally, but also for the things we're praying about for our church, as we look for venues, as we look for meeting places. God, as we cry out for people that may have fallen away and we pray for new people that we've never met before that need to know you, God, we lift these things up to you. And God, we, we even consider fasting this week, taking time to give up a meal and just turn our hearts and our focus on you during that time. God, as we do that, and as we implement maybe other practices, I pray, Lord, that you would just show yourself faithful, that at the very least we would feel your presence so warmly, so surrounding our very being, God, that we know you're with us, God. But then as we see our lives change and we see the fruit of these practices, God, I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't be there to puff us up, but they'd be there, God, to just be a testimony and example to our changed lives that would show people we are living differently. We are uh, a people that are called and a people that live like you so that others will know who you are and the love that you have for them. So we just take this time in worship and in prayer to just cement those things in our hearts. So we thank you for this in your mighty name. Amen.